Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. Cinderella cut it up one time. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, your pop culture home. Well, hello, everyone. And uh, we're back where the big boys play. Uh, I'm here with Chad, as ever. Yeah, hopefully uh, not forgotten. We are back. About <laughs> six weeks since we last spoke to everyone. Yeah, it's been a busy period for both of us, Chad. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, but we're talking about Clash of the Champions 14 uh, this week. And uh, uh, any any uh, anything to note before we get going on the Melters, Chad? Um, no, not a lot. I mean, it's just uh, if we were going to take a break, I think where we did was a good time because it was the end of 1990. Uh, now we go into 1991 which I think is most people would probably call one of the worst years in WCW history. So if not the worst until at least probably the Russo era, um, I, don't, I don't know, maybe 95, 96. Those are some pretty lean years up to the NWO formation as well. So, uh, so it'll be interesting to kind of go through this year, see all the ups and downs. Well, considering some of the low points in 1990, I'm not sure if it can get much worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I've uh, I've just remembered um, some of the stuff that happens. I'm I'm thinking mainly of um, El Gigante versus Sid. 
Uh, yellow, <laughs> yellow dog. Brian Pillman is the yellow dog. That's, uh, that's gotta be a top contender, but we'll get there. All right. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're into a new year, into 1991. And, uh, I think an interesting little period, um, for, you know, there's a little, there's, it's all change yet again, I'd, I'd mm-hmm. say in, in early 1991. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra. With Dave Meltzer. Um, so I'm going to start off with the Meltzers. It's January the 8th, um, and the Tortoise will be coming back next time on, on Wrestle War. Um, right, Chad? We yeah. don't have any shortages this week. Right. Um, so January the 8th, um, Amelta says there's, although no announcement has been made yet, it's uh, virtually certain that Dusty Rhodes will be coming back as Booker for WCW and that the name National Wrestling Alliance will virtually disappear from the wrestling industry uh, apart for the names of uh, a few different championships in Mexico and references to the WCW in Japan, where they'll still call it NWA. Um, basically true, right? Dusty Rhodes is about to come back, and the NWA name is virtually completely phased out by this point. Yeah, yeah. That's, I was about to chime in and say, well, they did have still the NWA title from time to time, but uh, that's what he mentioned. So, yeah, that came to fruition pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, Dusty Rhodes' final house show uh, date for WWF was December the 30th, 1990, um, although he is scheduled for one li- last night of humiliation at the Royal Rumble on January the 19th, where, if you'll recall, he jobs out massively to uh, my man Teddy Biasi. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, humiliation, he, he's kind of like a side note to that match, because this is all about Virgil, really. Yeah, I, I think he's pretty much a forgotten like byproduct of that match, and it's it's really interesting that he doesn't have. I guess he had like absolutely no non compete or nothing because it's it's literally like a week before he shows up on WCW TV. Yeah, in fact, Mel- Meltzer talks about so that that the Rumble is January the nineteenth, and Meltzer talks about Road starting for WCW was early as January the twentieth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so Meltzer's got a bit now on, he says, while he is amazed that Rhodes is being brought back as a booker, he says, if you think about it, he is the logical choice. Um, and I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on this, Chad. Let me go through his reasoning first. He says, um, first of all, that he's the only person out there with, with experience to match Vince and Pat Patterson booking for a major promotion. Secondly, he says, even if Dusty was responsible for JCP going down in 87, 88, which um, I would say he, uh, I mean, we cover this in great detail, Chad, on uh, one of our yeah. previous shows. I think Dusty has to carry quite a bit of the blame, if not all of the blame. Um, Bill Watts isn't going to come in uh, with the current organizational structure. So basically, who else is there? You know, Bill Watts isn't going to come in. Who else can they bring in? Um, thirdly, uh, he says Dusty's got something to prove. And we'll need to succeed if he wants to maintain his lifestyle and status in the industry. Fourth, his days in the ring are almost certainly over. So you remove the problem of Dusty booking Dusty. And finally, uh, this isn't JCP anymore who will sit back and let someone book the company into bankruptcy. <laughs> um, yeah, we are talking about WCW. But, um, right. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of Meltzer's uh, reasons there? Do you think that's, do you think that's a good call? Or? Yeah, I, I like the uh, that Dusty is no longer active, 
so he can't book himself. I think that's a good point. I, I, I mean, Dusty coming back as the booker is something that people do. It's like a callback, you know. I mean, how many chances has Vince Russo had by this point in time? Like talking about current day, he's had chance after chance after chance. So I do think Dusty uh, coming in at the onset of 1991 might not have been a terrible idea in theory, mm. but but as we'll see, Dusty kind of thought that it was still you know 1988. So. <laughs> it, it it became one of those time had passed him by situations as we go along with his booking run. Yeah, do you know, I would have liked to have seen uh, them give Jim Cornette a little run as booker here. Like, I know he's just left, but, like, try something else, you know? Do, do you not think? Yeah, they could have done something with him. Um, I, don't, I don't know if he'd have came back. He seemed pretty... Uh, Intent on starting and doing his own thing. Probably by this point, he was already gearing up. I know the pilot for Smoky Mountain was taped way in advance, so hmm. um, I don't know about that. And then, I mean, the, the, I think the problem was that after a few people, though, it feels like there's just not a lot of candidates. I mean, it's like Oli, uh, Dusty, maybe Cornette, if you want to go for an outside the box, and then like Bill Watts, who you know, hasn't been really entrenched in the wrestling business by this point in, what, three or four years, and he's still, whenever there's a booking opening, he's always the first name people speculate about, even still. Yeah, well, who who else was there, even? like? Yeah, George, that's George, what I'm... George Scott, I mean, he's pretty much out of it at right. this point. Uh, Christ, there isn't anyone, really. Like, J.J. Dillon, maybe? I, I know he, uh, he was at the WWF. Yeah, at I mean, this point. well, he's yeah. working. He's working for Vince, but like, if he was brought back as head booker, maybe he'd right. leave. I don't know. Uh, it's not many people, is there? No, that's the. I don't know. Uh, after there, there, yeah, there did not seem to be many candidates after kind of that uh, 1987 period of new bookers to come in. Uh, you, you know, you're Eddie Gilberts, I guess, but... What, what about Paul E? It, it, he hadn't really started thinking about booking yet at this point, did he? Yeah, I think this was right at the onset where Paul E kind of starts throwing some weight around. I, I'm actually at the point of my 1991 watching Worldwide where he becomes a very focal point of the product right and is on almost every segment and you can kind of see him gaining some steam so uh yeah i don't know about january the, the, the only other con- candidates would be the funks of course either right. terry or dory dory jr they've but they've both been bookers before but um i guess terry had, was pretty down on wcw at this point as well yeah it doesn't feel like a really great choice i mean i honestly might have went with eddie gilbert uh mm. just to see i don't know yeah. Okay. Well, um, in other news, uh, during this time, uh, there's a lot of talk in this particular issue of your old buddy, uh, Joe Pedicino, Chad, mm. buying USWA and Jarrett Promotion. So this is a big story around this time. And, um, Pedicino is planning on making a new company called Global Wrestling Federation based on a nucleus. And get this lineup of the nucleus, okay? Because I think this sounds awesome. Terry Funk, Steve Williams, Terry Gordy, Jim Cornette, One Man Gang, Conan, and Scotty the Body. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so that was going to be the nucleus of Global. Um, and there's a TV, and I'm really interested to see to know if you've seen any of this stuff because there's a taping of about 15 or 16 matches for a three-hour uh, syndicated show, mm-hmm. um, with, which has as the headline Terry Funk versus Jerry Lawler with Eddie Gilbert versus Jeff Jarrett on the undercard. And Meltzer says it's meant to be the best live card in Dallas for over a year. Have you seen any of that stuff? Yeah. So the uh, the Funk. Both, it's uh, Font versus Lawler and Gilbert versus Jarrett, correct? Yes. Yeah, both of those matches I have seen, and they're both uh, very good. In fact, the uh, the Gilbert versus Jarrett match will be a top 100 pick for me right. when I when I do my year end. Uh, it's right now it's at number 34. Um, and that, that I have the date on that is January the fifth. But those uh, that features a really cool spot with the uh, shoelaces of the boot, mm. and they tie he ties them up with the shoelaces of his own boot. It's it's a really innovative spot. The Font Lawler match is basically them kind of doing their spectacle type match, which is not necessarily my favorite type of match. Of them too, but it but it's still good. And Funk is just like flailing all over the ring. He like falls out onto the announce table and <laughs> spreads out. And uh, it, it's it's a good match too. I would recommend watching both of those back to back. Right, and uh, Pedersino booked that card then. Yeah, and and he's doing commentary, but it's it's a kind of a weird time where they're still under the USWA Texas banner. Right. They had they were they weren't calling it global or whatever at that at that point in time, and then you have a real uh, kind of sudden change uh, paradigm shift where all of a sudden USW Texas USWA Texas goes away. Uh, there's no crossover, and then you just have uh, USWA, and then eventually global comes about. Right. Well, there's more on this story in the in the next uh, issues because um, and maybe more happens even after the stuff I've got here. But uh, more on Pedersino's uh, d- dealings in a, in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the 234 thumbs up for Starcade, 176 thumbs down, 37 in the middle. So a mixed reaction. Well, shocking that there was more thumbs up than down, though. Yeah. I would not have guessed that. No, although um, lots and lots of ev- virtually everybody said that the Doom versus Horseman match was the best match on that mm, card. Yeah, sure. Um, the Steiners still haven't signed new contracts, and their current deal ends in a couple of months, which um, is vaguely shocking. They, they'd be two people that you'd want signed up for years to come. I'd, I'd have thought if you were WCW. Right. Um, the Sunday TBS show had a mention of Doom being former champions trying to regain the belts. And these shows were taped before Starcade, and then so the plan I think was to switch the titles at Starcade. So they had to erase all mention of the change from the tape, but they missed one, and it made a <laughs> so just a little boo boo there. <laughs> Still happening, like they've always done stuff like that. Yeah, they? yeah, they'll have that up to uh, the bitter end. Um, the juicer, uh, if you remember, who's uh, involved in all sorts of allegations and things, is finally done. Uh, and he's going to have a hard time because he can't work at home in Oregon because mm-hmm. of the media pressure and the commission won't lic- license him. And all of the other offices in the country aren't going to book him for the same reason. So that's basically it for the juicer. 
and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't wrestle again. I don't, um, I don't know for sure, but do you, do you remember the Juicer coming up any other time, Chad? Uh, in WCW or just in period? Just period. Is he done? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's actually kind of a weird thing where um, Art Bar was able to use kind of being annexed in the U.S. to his advantage because he goes to Mexico and becomes a huge star uh, right. teaming with Eddie Guerrero. So, uh, oh, oh the, the juicer is Art Bar? Yeah. Sorry, I completely forgot that. <laughs> I like Because last time I saw him, he was handing out sweets to the crowd. Right, yeah, <laughs> so he was doing nothing um, in there. But, yeah, so he... Uh, and and kind of a doesn't seem to happen very much where someone gets completely kind of blackballed mm. uh, in the in the U.S. But he went to Mexico, had really you know a really successful time, and then uh, passed away right at the end of 1994. Right. Well, um, a strange little bit of news now. Um, Tony Schiavone on the on the 900 hotline number did a segment on who the best wrestler in the world is. And he says that basically it comes down, many people say it comes down to Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. He then compared the two of them, which Melson noted is ironic since neither of them were the champ at that moment. Mm. Um, He says that he is one of the few men, Tony Schiavone this is, who has worked with both of them and he likes them both. And then Melson says he put over Hogan huge during this segment and basically picked Hogan as the best wrestler in the world and as the biggest drawing card. (laughs) Which is not only weird, but completely asked backwards. What, what, what are they doing? I don't understand that at all. Is that like... Yeah, I don't know if that was a pot shot at Flair or... Uh, yeah, bizarre. Biz- like, that, like, is, that is bizarre. Don't talk up the main draw of the opponent's company. I right, thought. right. Um, in another blow for WCW, um, the Keel Auditorium in St. Louis is being torn down. And, yeah. that, and that is WCW's venue there. The other arena is WF exclusive, which means basically WCW can no longer run shows in St. Louis. Mm. Um, well, they can't run a big show in St. Louis. Um, so I guess that's bad news for them. Um, not that they would have had a particularly big crowd at the Keel at this point anyway, I'd have thought. Yeah, you're starting to uh, want to track some of the attendance figures, but... I, I do know at least with the super shows and pay per views, we're starting. We'll be starting to get into some. I'd, I'd say some fairly obscure towns for pay per views, like Halloween Havoc. I know in Chattanooga, which is a mid-sized town. Uh, Great American Bash '92. If we, when we go there, that's in Albany, Georgia, which is about the fourth biggest town in Georgia. <laughs> So, well, I mean, looking at their Starcade numbers, they did seven thousand two hundred at the Keel yeah. uh, for their last show, which for Starcade is pretty crap, you know. I mean, right. like uh, I remember Matasic, like they used to get more than seven thousand for just like the average kind of monthly show at the Keel back in the day, you know. Sure. Uh, that was like a bad gate for them, so um, not not particularly good anyway. Um, and finally, says that Zenk versus Arn TV title switch was a pretty good 17-minute match, uh, during which Arn's facial expressions were unbelievable. You seen that one, Zenk versus Arn? Uh, well, we uh, that was the one we watched at our TV special. Yeah, we. Both oh yeah, really oh we oh we, we yeah. both watched that. All right. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was from uh, I think that aired like the 29th or something. 29th, right? 
Was that our last show, Chad? The TV special? Yeah. Sorry, I uh, I completely forgot. I was thought we I thought we did something after Starcade. Yes, yeah. I no, I enjoyed it. Um. All right, January the fourteenth. Um. Yeah, this is like um. My memory is completely shot at this point, Chad. I can't remember more than like a week ago. So. <laughs> um. January the fourteenth. Uh. Pedicino's plan to buy the USWA has fallen through. Uh, but there are conflicting stories as to why. The deal is not 100% dead, but it looks like whatever happens, Pedicino is going to go ahead with his plan to open global anyway. Um, now, I'm guessing that the further developments are afoot, but what, what, does he actually succeed in buying USWA, or does he just open global and take over the TV spot? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little sketchy on how that negotiations works, but, but I do think he did kind of buy some resonance of either the Dallas time slot or or something in regards to that because he, I think he, he gets the ESPN spot, doesn't he? He gets the T yeah. oh, yeah. spot. Oh yeah. He he's eventually on ESPN but uh it's it's a kind of a weird situation. Jarrett so promotions keeps going, doesn't it? Like after this. Yeah oh yeah. USWA in Memphis is um yeah, that still sticks around till really. We're still. I'm also watching 1997, and it's kind of sad they're still tinkering around with USWA. So, uh, so, but but it mainly becomes like a Memphis. Before you know, in 1990, you had the the Texas side and the Memphis side, and they didn't necessarily. Uh, you know, something that was happening in the Memphis side wouldn't necessarily be the same case in in uh, Texas, but now it's just strictly the Memphis side again. So maybe Pedicino does buy the Texas bit of it, but we'll 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 see. That's uh, maybe on the WrestleWar show we'll have an update from Meltzer right. on that. Um, weird one now. Little story about Bobby Heenan, which I hadn't heard before. <laughs> um, he collapsed on an aeroplane coming home for for New Year's. So this is New Year's Eve. Um, he was on a flight, uh, a Northwest Airlines flight from Detroit to Tampa. He passed out as the plane was landing. Airport police found him unconscious and rushed him to St. Joseph's Hospital with his heartbeat down to near 35 beats per minute. The doctors then asked the police to check his baggage where they found 48 grams of marijuana and two pipes containing <laughs> marijuana resin. <laughs> After Mahinan regained consciousness, he was immediately arrested. <laughs> it wasn't anything too serious but he was charged um, after that he was soon let go he won't miss any dates and the story isn't going to make the press anywhere either so uh, just a little uh, bit of uh, trouble for Bobby there on uh, New Year's Eve so yeah I didn't know that as well I don't recall I've never, that I've never heard that story before um, he hasn't mentioned it on any of the shoots uh, yeah um, so, the, yeah, that amused me. Um, it's expected that Dusty will be officially announced as the new Booker next Tuesday. And it was announced to the boys on Monday night. Um, the new booking team is going to include Magnum TA as a road agent. Jody, Hamil- uh, R- Jody Hamilton, uh, you know, the assassin. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Ron West. I don't know who that is. Who's Ron West? Oh, uh, crap. Um, I, I'll look him up. I know he right. has something going on. Uh, Grizzly Smith, obviously, uh, Duke, right. Jake Roberts' dad, uh, who, who was a booker for Bill Watts as well. Uh, Kevin Sullivan, who's always seems to be in and around the booking committee. And, uh, of course, Barry Windham, who usually acts as, uh, Dusty's assistant, doesn't he? So, 
that's uh, that's going to be the new booking regime under Dusty. He's also going to be bringing Dustin in with him. Uh, surprise, surprise. So, um, which is actually not bad news considering like uh, D- Dustin is a bit of a favorite over at PWO, isn't he? <laughs> Uh, let me see. So Ron West, he was an office manager, referee, and then he also, this was where I, I knew him from after his wrestling days, he also started uh, kind of promoting circuses. So, <laughs> Right, okay. He had that going on. Yeah, well, of course, if in a promotion that runs Black Scorpion week to week, you need a guy like that, right? A circus mm-hmm. uh, manager. <laughs> um. The only other piece of news from this uh, uh, thing is that there was another family feud, okay, um, appearance. And, uh, Chad, a little idea I have. Maybe we could cover a family feud for a, a little special one day. Um, this one involved Kevin Sullivan, Tony Schiavone, Master Blaster Blade, Sid Vicious, and Dutch Mantel taking on the Glow Girls, who they beat four of five. He says, even though they, they were meant to be a heel team, Tony showed sympathy for the Glow Girls uh, <laughs> on the team. So there we go. Uh, you ever seen any of that Family Feud stuff? Yeah, that's the uh, stuff that happened. Um, I think they aired that in like May or something. So. I, can't, I can't believe that Master Blaster Blade made the, made the heel Family Feud team there. Like, Who's uh, on the other team? Who else is on the team? Uh, besides Kev- Kevin Sullivan, Sid Vicious, Dutch Mantel, and Tony Schiavone. Oh, maybe now that's another one. They must—they did a lot of stuff yeah, for this they, family they, feud. They did a few. There's one where Jr. is on the team. They did in 1990, I know. Yeah, because I guess it's the one after this is the one that I've seen almost all of that has because it, it has the Steiners for sure, <laughs> Sting, and Luger. So it's the big names. This is like the B team of the family feuds. Yeah, Dutch Mantel. I mean. Forgotten that he was even around, to be honest. Yeah, he uh, he has a humorous moment where I just now watched his return in uh, September and October to uh, USWA, and he's he's begging, wanting to know where Stan Hansen is, and <laughs> ask if you've seen him on WCW TV and all this stuff <laughs> because he had been on in so long. Has he uh, has he shaved his back? Nah, he uh, he he still sports that back probably oh. to this day. So yeah. God. All right. Um, so that was that. And then January the 21st. There's a lot of stuff in this issue about Sting's reign as champ. And uh, so basically, um, if you, well, obviously, as most people listening to this will know, Flair wins the title again uh, on a show, um, which I'm going to mention in a second. So Meltzer has a big kind of state of union address here on, he looks back on Sting's reign and kind of assesses how he did, etc. Um, basically, he says that following Flair, you know, one of the greatest world champions ever, he never really had a chance. Although, he does think that he it was correct to give him the chance. Um, he said the decision to, the, to go back to Flair was probably made around a November time, because the house shows were basically tanking. They were through the floor at this point. Um, the original plan was for, for Flair to beat Sting at Starcade. But that didn't happen because Sting didn't want to lose the title to the Black Scorpion. Can't blame him, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, instead, Sting put over Flair on the January 11th show at Meadowlands. Um, Meltzer gets a little bit ph- philosophical now. He said, he asks, what is the WCW world title? What should it be? What does it mean? 
Um, and uh, he says that it basically means the main event guy on the WCW tour, and that the belt itself is no longer a draw in itself. Um, any thoughts on that? The belt? WCW um, belt? What does it mean? I think you could certainly still make it prestigious. And, uh, I mean, I mean, Sting's first title run now is, came to an end. It was a failure. I think that's very safe to say. Mm. Uh, even, even, you know, if you look at Macho Man's year long run in 1988, it was more successful than this. So it's, it's disappointing and they kind of went back to flair. So now you have, Kind of out with the new and back with the old, where you have Flair, Flair on top, and Dusty as Booker at this current show we're about to review. It only just occurred to me that there's a direct parallel with Warrior, Warrior's run, because Warrior yeah, uh, basically yeah. loses the title at Royal Rumble, doesn't he? Right, he loses it. Uh, it's about a week after Sting does, and that's kind of the same situation. Well, um. Meltzer does look at, you know, yeah, he says, obviously Sting was not a success as champion, but he says there's a combination of reasons, bad booking, bad hyping of shows, especially in local markets, which is a constant sticking point um, for Meltzer. But uh, he does say that uh, one of the contributing factors was that was Sting's inability to wrestle world title matches. He said he never excelled in the clutch situations on major shows. And he didn't have any world title caliber matches. Um, fair that basically Sting didn't do well in the role. Uh, yeah, I don't think Sting did well in the role. He wasn't helped by the booking, but um, I mean, he didn't have a signature really. What the if you look at what happened in 1989, where he had the Steamboat series and then the Funk series right after that. And just look at Sting's challengers, where it was essentially the Black Scorpion and uh, Sid Vicious. Not, not much uh-huh. of a comparison. It's a bit unfair to expect him to wrestle world title caliber matches with Al Perez under a mask, you know. Right, right. <laughs> um, now he does say that while Flair is, in most ways, the obvious man for the job, given the circumstances, Meltzer wonders about his age. He says there has to come a day when he's going to slow down. which is really funny reading that now Um, Flair is not the long term solution he can't be Um, basically correct yeah I don't think they wanted Flair to be the long term solution but they didn't really have anybody at all uh, to put in place right here so Um, I thought this was an interesting little paragraph by Meltzer he says there is no such thing as a 100% complete wrestler Flair is too predictable Hennig is too inconsistent. Eaton doesn't have the charisma to headline. Luger can't carry a bad opponent. Wyndham is too unreliable. And Scott Steiner isn't a good interview. There isn't going to be a perfect champion for WCW, but during this period where Flair is a champion, the company needs to be carefully groomed a successor, and, a, and they should have a backup plan if things don't work out. Fair comment on all of those things, or...? Uh, I mean, I think the Luger comment was a little unfair. I mean, I don't know what you would consider a bad opponent, but uh, I think Luger's worked with some reasonably tough opponents, 1990 Tommy Rich or whatever, and he's been successful. Yeah, and uh, Flair too predictable. I'm not sure if I agree with that either. Right, sure. Um. He says uh, that the crowd... Anyway, I, I, before that, 
I, I thought maybe we could have a look at like who could the successor be at this point? Who would be the backup plan? Um, Long term, maybe Scott Steiner. I think that's who they wanted to groom um, for he, sure. He gets injured, doesn't he? Essentially. Yeah, and then uh, and then he uh, he gets injured uh, probably like May, late May, and then. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. But I, I do think what we'll see in this show today kind of was a catalyst even before then. Um, my uh, as a long term success, why can't Pillman be groomed? Any reason? Yeah, yeah I don't know. Pillman's kind of one of the persons that never had, uh, just never really had anybody behind him. It didn't seem like to really want to push him. Right up to the top of the card. He's got but the charisma. He's he got. Could've. Sorry, carry on, Chad. Well, yeah, I mean, he certainly, from what we've seen, even up to this point, he has all the tools that he could have been groomed, and they they kind of hinted at it with the uh, him being Flair's protege, which mm-hmm. they even mentioned on this show and kind of mentioned on commentary. And then he has a match uh, with Flair that we'll watch in our TV special in April that I think is uh, really spectacular, uh, about four stars. And um, I don't, for some reason, like by the, by the end of the year, it, get, it gets a lot worse. Like even from where he's positioned now on the card, it's worse by the end of the year where he's just uh, winning the light heavyweight title and kind of on the undercard as a junior. It makes no sense. I mean, because he's, I guess in the minds of the bookers, he's seen as like a light like a lightweight or lighter, like a smaller guy, but yeah, is he that small? Like Pillman, he he seems like he seems like maybe not quite as big as Sting, but not a million miles away. He's, well, I mean Flair too. I mean, yeah, yeah, he's as big as yeah, exactly. I don't really get that. He's about what two, three, five, two forty. Pillman, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he was probably right around. I mean, he was billed as around. Six foot. He was probably a little bit under that, but uh, yeah, about two hundred and thirty pounds. They, I mean, they used to always say in the light heavyweight that he was right on kind of the brink of the cutoff weight. So Randy Savage was two three, was about that, wasn't he? Two thirty. Uh, yeah, he was yeah. probably uh, maybe like around the two forty, two fifty, but pretty, fairly close. Right. Okay. Um. So, uh, yes. Um. Flair, uh, when he won the title at the Meadowlands, um, uh, Meltzer said the crowd reaction is 100% babyface. He gets a massive pop. And he gave that match three and a half stars. Uh, I, that can't be him. I don't I don't know. Unless he went there live. I, I think that's another one of those, his correspondent or whatever. Because they never showed that match. Yeah, and that doesn't exist on tape, that match? Right, no, only the finish, really. I, th- I think he went there live, uh, Chad, because he has the um, the full card. Well, but but he does get correspond. I think this is one of, I mean, it, it's possible, but it, it seems fairly random for me for him to pop up at a Metal Ends house show. And he, he, and he will just kind of put in these... Uh, you know, he'll put in a full report from someone, and there's it's it's tough to gauge whether it's him or someone else. Right. I'm not I'm not ruling it out, but it, it, it does seem very random for me for him based on the West Coast to fly to this random house show in the Meadowlands. Would you put him like if he knew there was going to be a title switch? Would you put it past him though? 
It's possible. Yeah, it's right? possible. Yeah. Okay, now, point taken. He does have a pretty full report on that card, though. And it, it seems like some some matches from that card did make it to TV and stuff. I don't know. I don't. Well, they show clips. I mean, it was filmed. It's just never really uh, came came out in full. Hmm. Um, well, can't say I'm too disappointed. I'm not really a fan of flasting matches, as you know. Um, yeah. Dusty Rhodes will be the uh, color commentator on Worldwide Wrestling. And they've already announced that he's retired from the ring. Meltzer says that since they're going big on the retirement um, deal, you know it won't be long before a big coming out of retirement angle. Um, does that? I don't think that happens until nah, 1994, does it? Yeah, he really is not active until 94, so he does good uh, holding off. They, they actually do a really good segment around this time where Dusty's talking in the Omni with Gordon Soley, it's an empty arena, and he's just sitting in a chair talking to Gordy, uh, Gordon, kind of reminiscing on his career. It's a very, uh, very good segment to track down under the radar. Yeah, sounds good. Um, are we pleased to have Dusty back, uh, Chad? Well, I think Dusty, uh, his 1989 WWF stuff was kind of cool just to see him in that environment and that stuff, but but after a while with the polka dots and sapphire and stuff like that, he, he really felt like a better fit, much better fit in WCW. Right. Um, Meltzer thought that uh, the Missy versus Paulie dangerously angle was very well done, with Missy crying after Paulie threatened to tell everyone what she did to get into the company. Yeah. Um, any any of that stuff? Any of that stuff make? Uh... Yeah, it's it's uh, pretty much. Um, Polly calling Missy a, a slut and her getting pissed and acting like he went off script a little bit. She cries and was like, you weren't supposed to mention that. And they end the show that way. It's, uh, I, I don't think it ages very well. I'll say that. Well, Melt is all over it, which is unusual yeah. for him. Um, and he says, um, if you're currently standing up, sit down. Because Flair is booked to work with El Gigante next month. Right. <laughs> um, and then on the letters page of this particular one, there's a chap called Alex Marvez, who seems to write in a lot from Florida. He's from uh, Miami. And he's very angry that Gordon Soley has been fired as coordinator for Florida, which was a bit of news that Meltzer uh, mentioned earlier. Uh, he says that Soley has been put in a bad position with the wrestling wrap-ups and the news uh, network garbage. Uh, and that he's not really a colour commentator either. Let him do play-by-play for four to six weeks, and fans might appreciate him more. And he also says that for a 61-year-old, he's doing really good work anyway. Um, so an aggrieved uh, an aggrieved uh, associate of Gordon Soley's there, writing in to stick up for him. And, and Alex Marvez, he'd be a... Uh, he'd kind of be a wrestling columnist or whatever, working in some places for many years to come. Yeah, he, I mean, he's, at this point, he's basically writing in every single week. Yeah. Um, so he, He'd actually get, like, a paying gig uh, at some points to do some stuff there. Right. Um, and so January the 28th, uh, not a lot of news in this particular one. It starts off with one of Meltzer's parody pieces, uh, which I'm n- never really a fan of, um, in which he claims to have done some uh, like research that shows that Vince McMahon has a baldness fetish. Um, 
so that's basically like yeah he's making fun of the fact that Vince a lot of the a lot of Vince's big stars have been bald and he, he mentions like when he made Backlund shave his head and talks about Hogan being bald and wanting to bring in the Row Warriors and the Powers of Pain and stuff so not particularly entertaining from my point no, of view no, um, no. I never really like it when Meltzer does that stuff to be fair it's not his strong suit right <laughs> um Clash 14 has been moved from the CNN Center to Gainesville because of yeah. hev- heavy security around CNN. Right. This was uh, something I was wanting to talk about. But, uh, yeah, it would have been interesting to see the show in the actual CNN Center. Um, I, don't, I don't know how that would look. I kind of have visions of the first Nitro in the Mall of America and how that ended up looking. Uh, and I, I could see that for the CNN Center. But, um it had been an interesting look for a show because they did do a uh, – CNN did have a, a daily talk show, I know, for a long time in the mid-'90s called Talk Back Live that was right in the CNN Center. Yeah. So uh, – but, yeah, it had been kind of a unique look for sure. How uh, how big was that? Like how many could it seat the CNN Center? Oh, it's – well, that – I mean, it would not have uh, – not many. Uh, I mean, it, they'd have had to set it up. So the way the CNN Center is, it's you have the CNN offices and an actual hotel that's kind of up uh, up on levels, mm. but the but the main floor is uh, f- just lined with various like mall restaurants and stuff like that, and some shops. So they would have had to set up the ring, uh, probably kind of where like most of the the uh, tables are at currently where you can sit and eat and then I don't know what they would have done with the bleachers. Uh, they either would have had set up chairs on the floor or brought in some bleachers to kind of raise up. I, I guess it would have been a bit of like a tech wood deal for them, you know, like a small, small studio. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I think they'd have probably again, use the same approach they did for the first nitro and it kind of had that vibe. Right. Um, in other news, uh, Honky Tonk Man is negotiating to come in. Joy of joys. Um, does he come in? He uh, he does not come in until uh, I think it's ninety four. Actually, I don't think he comes in before ninety four. Good. Um, I'm not a big fan of him. Uh, no, yeah, no. I don't think anybody is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, he is. He's a big. Yeah. Fan. Well, he is. That's right. He is. <laughs> um. Larry Zabisco uh, is due to come in in February, probably to work in a program with Pillman, and uh, that definitely does happen. Um, and Art Barr is back in Atlanta trying to get his old job back. So um, the juicer not done yet, although he doesn't get his job back. Right. Um, and then the February 4th newsletter is very weird. So obviously the Clash show happened uh, January 30th. Yeah, yep. Um and there's a distinct format change and a strange, like, little personal reflection thing at the top uh, of the January the 4th newsletter. I don't really know what, um, of the uh, February the 4th news. I don't really know what happens here. He's got, like, a personal note where he yeah, says... Yeah, uh, he, doesn't he thank someone for giving him the courage or whatever to thanks, do what he's about to do? He thanks Frank Goodish. Right. Um, he thanks Wade Keller for making me realize the true value of what I do. Um uh, he thanks he thanks his girlfriend Erin Andrews for forcing him to stand up for himself. Which is that's uh, so so this was when Meltzer and Brian Alvarez merged together. 
uh, in June 2008, and we learned that he was bringing the observers online, where you could read them online. Yeah. This was the first archived uh, issue that he posted, mm. was, was this one, and that was... At a funny time for him to think his as a girlfriend, Aaron Andrews, because Aaron Andrews in 2008 was a a huge sportscaster, right. uh, very good looking sideline reporting. Now she's the co-host of Dancing with the Stars, right? Still, but just him thinking someone like that still go, still going out with Meltzer. Yeah, <laughs> kind of had a chuckle. Um, are they still going out, Chad, or not? I don't know what his actual wife's first name is. I don't think it's Aaron. So uh, has he got so, time for part? Like Meltzer just strikes me as someone who just probably just doesn't have time to have any like women in his life. <laughs> well, from the audio show, it does seem like uh, Meltzer is able to balance the family life pretty good because he does mention like dropping off his son to school and stuff like that. So right, okay. Um, well, anyway, he uh, he says, um, and to one the one person that taught me the most imper- important lesson I learned this week, when all is said and done, the most important things in life really are what you think of yourself every night as you lie down to go to sleep, what you see in the mirror every morning when you wake up, and what your friends and loved ones in their hearts think of you. What, 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 what is all of this in aid of? Any, any ideas? Because um, there's, um, there's a very long sequence now where, where it goes like day by day. Um, writing of letters back and forth between Meltzer and Titan. And yeah. I, th- I think somebody in WF is very was aggrieved at the way that Meltzer reported the Slaughter-Hogan angle. Um, he, he, yeah. he basically reported like people inside WF weren't happy with the Slaughter angle or something. Um, and uh, there's a lot of stuff going on here. J.J. Dillon's involved, and it all seems quite messy, but... Clearly, this was a troubled little period for Meltzer. And right. I, I, I think it kind of plays into the time, too, in the U.S. with the Desert Storm. Um, so so tensions were running high uh, throughout the uh, throughout the country, really. And, and the, this, this newsletter that I've read kind of plays into that. Uh, it, it, it's... It's it's hard for me to kind of understand the gravity of the situation of that time because I mean I was four so mm. I, I I didn't uh, you know of course I didn't really grasp the concept of we were going to Iraq and all this but uh but it does seem like a lot of things from that time have this kind of weird vibe to them when you go back and look at it in retrospect. Yeah, there's stuff about his girlfriend calling him a spineless wimp <laughs> in one of the in one of the uh, in one of the le- this is really weird like back and forth between Meltzer and this guy called Frank mm-hmm. Frank Defford. Um, it all seems oh uh, Frank Frank DeFord yeah Frank Frank DeFord yeah now he's a famous um, he wrote for Sports Illustrated uh, for for numerous years. And then when Meltzer, what was the name of his little? He he started his own thing, uh, his own publication, which I'll, I'm looking up right now. But Meltzer was writing on that, and he's always been a big fan of Meltzer, a very very famous American sports writer. Right. It's, uh, 
I I can't really. I, I mean, oh, I the would... national national magazine. That's national, right. And, right. And and Meltzer had a column in that while that magazine was in publication. So. Right. So there's, no, but there's a lot of like if this all seems like really grave this it all seems like really personal and like Melter seems like he's in hot water with someone uh, at WF here and um, there's a bit from the Miami Herald by uh, Alex Marvez and I mean this is like ten whole pages of stuff and there's no other stuff in this particular newsletter it's all just to do with that so um, in fact well there's one bit, bit of news um, which isn't involving that. And it's uh, the fact that Michael Wall Street was walked out of WCW. He didn't like the he didn't like the terms of his contract um, more because of the length than the pay. He was only on like a six month deal or something. Um, any thoughts on <laughs> on uh, old uh, Rotunda leaving? He's been with us for a long time. Yeah, I think he'll have a uh, better stint coming up. So in in WF, you think? Right, right. Um, okay, um, and that brings us uh, to the um to the show um yeah that just uh wrapping up that observer that's probably one of the most interesting observers to just read uh that one the montreal screw job one where you get the correspondence he actually had personally with brett uh a couple others but those are if if you had to pick 10 observers in the history of the publication to read that may be one of them it's it's a very odd one I've only skimmed it, but like, uh, did, did, have you read it, all of this stuff? Uh, yeah, I've read it a, f- a couple of times, and it's uh, it's a very. I, I wouldn't say it's very focused, really. It is kind of personal, vague. Not, you're not really comfortable. I would even say reading it. It it feels like you're intruding on something, but it's uh, it's interesting to read all the way through. Yeah, no, that's my that's my feeling. I feel vaguely uncomfortable uh, looking at the correspondence and stuff. But uh, there we go. The great matches of our time: Ali, Frazier, Tyson, Douglas, Hyatt, dangerously. Two finely tuned athletes. You really think you can beat me, Missy? On a collision course. I'm finally gonna shut you up, Paul. Paul Lee dangerously against Missy Hyatt in an arm wrestling battle of the sexes. Clash of the Champions, Dixie Dynamite, live at 8.05 Eastern on TBS, Wednesday night. We're in the Georgia Mountain Center in Gainesville. You ever been there? <laughs> yeah, Gainesville's, uh, it's it's probably, mm, it's, it's not very far uh, from Atlanta. It, I mean, it's it's like an hour or so from Atlanta. So it's so a decent drive, but not unbearable, and uh, it's a it's a fairly small town to have a clash. So yeah, and uh, the subtitle for this particular clash is Dixie Dynamite. Terrible, right. terrible name. Uh, well, from my point of view, I think it's a terrible name. Any thoughts, Chad? <laughs> well, I think it's a very regional name. Uh, I, I I like it as a regional name, but if you're a national promotion, don't think Dixie Dynamite's probably the best choice. <laughs> um, and uh, Dusty is on commentary here. Right. Um, and he starts right away with the Dustyisms because he says, we're going to get funky like a monkey. <laughs> uh, so uh, to start off with now, big match, Sting and Lex Luger taking on Doom. Um and uh, Teddy Long is missing, uh, I note. Um, 
Any uh, any thoughts on this uh, particular on the opener here? So so yeah, this was a interesting match that I was pretty pumped for. Uh, one, considering how big buddies Sting and Luger are, you know they they always seem to be linked with each other. I don't think there's a ton of tag team uh, stuff from them. Uh, we'll see their most hyped uh, tag team match together in a in a couple yep. months at at Super Brawl, but but there still doesn't seem to be a, a you know a, a bevy of stuff of them teaming together, and to see them versus Doom, who again was just like rolling along at this point, and we didn't have any you know really any indication that they were going to be splitting anytime soon. Uh, at least from the stuff I've seen, there was no kind of teasing of it. So that that's where we're at. The match, uh, I thought Sting had a, a really cool uh, face paint scheme for this match, which I noticed. He was wearing the white trunks and yeah. uh, had some kind of green and black and white on his face paint. It, it was different, but I, I liked it. Uh and he uh, he starts off, and the crowd's really hot for him and Ron Simmons to uh, to start off. I, I like the uh, the shine sequence from this match. They do some work over Ron Simmons's arm. Luger hits a swinging neck breaker. Wooden Reed puts his head down. So Luger again looks like a pretty resourceful, smart wrestler in the early point of that. And uh, and then we got a really cool spot, which I liked, where Simmons gave a couple of shoulder blocks, and then Luger hit a clothesline and a shoulder block on his own. They really look like two hosses, former football players, kind of going at each other. Doom takes over the advantage when they hit a stun gun, and they go right to break, which I always hate. Always hate when uh, when um, either they'll go to break right as we get the heat because we don't really know what's going to be the focal point. Mm. And this was one of the... I couldn't remember if it happened in clashes before, but it, it really felt like in this in this clash they took a good many breaks uh, during the match. Yeah. Like, I know in the very early ones they didn't take any breaks, and in this one, uh, almost any match that went over a couple of minutes, they were taking a break. So we come back from break, and they're still working over... Luger and I thought the the stuff they did was fine, but again we missed the portion of it because almost as they come back, almost immediately, like Luger starts kind of coming back and doing his stuff. I mean, he, he gets a hope spot literally immediately as we come back from break. So I feel like we missed a fairly good portion of the story there um and and the doom doom's attack i'll say was not as focused as i would have liked and it usually is but uh, so then luger does get the hot tag sting comes in he's definitely over which i enjoyed and he he looks good i think with his house of fire sequence Mm. uh but then as he's working over both members of doom dan spivey uh runs out from the crowd starts beating up Luger on the outside and kind of gives him a clothesline on the outside. And then we get the DQ finish where Doom throws Sting off the top rope and the referee sees it. So a a pretty shoddy finish uh, here in our opener. Action overall I thought was decent. 
was made me slightly disappointed because I felt like they rushed. Uh, we'll, we'll get through, but this is a pretty long card, and I think they could have cut some other stuff from this card and had this go probably four or five minutes longer, and it would have been uh, better. So, 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 kind of fun to see these four in this era, but uh, I'd say a little slightly disappointing. I went about two and a half stars. Uh, that's that's my exact rating as well, Chad. Two and a half. Meltzer went two and three quarters. Um, he says that the match lacked the ring general to keep things going smooth. So, even though there were some cool moves and things, there wasn't anyone to control the tempo, which is probably true. Um, I thought the Luger looked very polished in this match. Yeah. Um, like, uh, you know, he hit his high spots uh, all pretty good, and he was good as the face in peril, I thought, from what we saw of it. Um, uh, I thought the bulldog face slam thing that uh, they did looked a bit awkward. Um, and there's also... I My note is that I thought Sting was very lackluster in the finish. Like uh, you said, you enjoy it. I didn't really think he had that much fire. He could have showed more fire. Um Good action, but a bit too short as well. And the clipping didn't help things. So two and a, two and a half for me. Um, I thought this was quite a big match to give away on TV, um, given that recent clashes have had a lot of shitty matches on them. So I thought this was kind of more towards the spirit of the original clashes to give big big matches like this away on TV. Yeah, I would say this and the uh, this is kind of a hybrid clash as we go along where. I'd say this match and the main event are both uh, relatively big matches and feel like kind of the clash matches from the early eras, but uh, but there's also a lot of kind of Clash 12 job fest and yeah, pretty is, yeah. shoddy stuff mixed in. So this is a uh, potpourri of both the good and bad of the Clash history so far. Yeah. Um, although nothing's going to beat Clash. Uh, yeah, nothing will beat Clash. Uh, what it was 13, actually. 13, last yeah. yeah. Thanksgiving Thunder. Um, so next up, there's quite a big show for the wrestling wrap-up. Did you ever buy that? <laughs> uh, no. I, uh, I was buying the, both the WWF and the WCW magazine uh, around this point, but not the wrestling wrap-up. Uh, it seems kind of like a waste of time. Like I, I think it doesn't really know whether it wants to be the observer, whether it wants to be PWI, and mm. as a result, kind of never found its identity. Right. Uh, and something, Gordon Soley's involved with that in some strange way as well. Um, right. uh, Missy Hyatt's here now, uh, sporting like a stripy white top that shows uh, her cleavage off. Uh, and um, she talks about WCW's sexiest wrestler has been voted and it's the Z-Man it's Tom Zenk (laughs) Um, and uh, Missy says congratulations gorgeous did Missy ever have a piece of Zenk then do we know Uh, no unless there was something that I didn't see uh, there was no kind of I guess everybody just thought Zenk was hot so Right, I wouldn't be surprised though. If, uh, if they... Yeah. That, that, oh, you. Oh, you mean backstage? I thought yeah, you yeah. meant on air. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean like, you know, give, giving new definition to the meaning of blowjob baby face. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, speaking of uh, the Z man, the Z man, um, somebody in a crowd has a Z man number one sign, which uh, yeah, which made me sad. <laughs> uh, he's taking on uh, beautiful Bobby here 
um, defending his new TV title. Um, and uh, what was that massive Bobby chant? Was that Eaton's music or was that the crowd? I didn't. Yeah, know. that's his. This was one of the. <laughs> it, it, it's this is before kind of the the what I associate with the Bobby theme with kind of the synthesizer and the spacey mm-hmm. effects. So so yeah, his theme is almost literally like people chanting Bobby. It's 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 one of the worst themes I've ever heard for a heel. It's bizarre. Right. Um, yeah, very unusual. Um, so uh, we, we've actually seen Zenk have a couple of good little matches recently. How did this one fare? Yeah, I was interested in this one. I thought I thought it might be uh, could could be very good. I was I was let down with it a little bit. Um, I thought I thought Bobby's hair was out of control <laughs> during this match. Just uh, I don't know. Like it looks Horrible. like a fifty year old woman. I don't. Know, it looks bad and. 1991 uh era so so we get a it's a very rudimentary uh start to start uh the match and then zinc drop kicks eaton uh on the top rope and he takes a really good bump to the outside so that's kind of your first big spot of the match zinc works over the arm of beaten but this is kind of the problem with zinc on top i thought he uh just doesn't have really much to kind of get the the shine over, mm. and and as we know from Bobby as a tag worker, he does like the babyface to get a good shine on him. Yeah. So so I thought that's where the match faltered a little bit. Uh, he does give a pretty good. Uh, they do have a decent strike exchange at one point, but but up till Eaton took over when he sent Zinc into the turnbuckle, I thought it was. Uh, it, it was pretty shoddy stuff up to this point. Eaton turns the match around a little bit. He has a knee from the top that looks really good. Uh, but then, then all of a sudden, Zink kind of catches him off the top and threw him to the mat and, mm. and then gave him a sweet chin music. So it, it really felt like Bobby was getting jobbed out a little bit to me in this match. And then we have the finish, which I hate it. Cause, so it's a, it's a backslide. Zink gets a backslide flash pin on Eaton. But, uh, but the, the referee's counting and Eaton was kicking out. I mean, he was out of the backslide when, uh, when the three count occurred. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know if this was ever really played up or what, what happened here, but I thought this was a really shoddy, ending and the match overall like i said pretty kind of disappointed me because i thought we might could get some uh some of like the arn anderson magic that he had with zinc and i only went like two stars for this i thought i mean decent but disappointing um you well you picked up on the one bit of the match that i really enjoyed i i loved it when eaton um was just shouting come on boy and rabbing zinc's head into the turnbuckle i thought that was probably the highlight of the match yeah, and, uh, I lo- I just loved how vicious he was. It was as if, it was as if he was saying, "Come on, you pretty boy, take this." You know, um, a perfectly fine match. I thought I got it in the three star range, uh, which is also where Meltzer went with it. Three stars. Um, I do think that you can see some of Zenk's limitations as a worker during this match. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also do quite. I mean, they're meant to be giving Eaton a little push as a singles worker here. And uh, it seems weird to job him out to Zenk and, you know, 
this uh, it's not going well for Bobby Singles career um, at this point. If that's, no. if that's his role, you know, as fodder for the new TV champ. Um, so yeah, three three stars. I thought it was this, you know, not not bad. Um, again, never going to be Zeng's biggest fan. So no, yeah, no. Um, in other news, uh, the York Foundation will reveal their latest member later, um, and uh, AKA. Mike Rotunda's just walked out. We need to do something. Yeah, we, we got to have somebody. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, it's, it's interesting as to who that is, given that Dusty is now the booker, you know, given, uh, he, given, their, given their history. Yes, yes, that is true. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Now, in the next oh, match, uh, Tommy Rich tagging with Alan Iron Eagle. Eagle. And I've just written in my notes, who is that? Just as that's just like three random words put together that make Alan Iron Eagle. Yes, we will. I will. I will be interested to see if we will see Alan Iron Eagle <laughs> again. Um, because he's Joe Gomez, right? And so Joe Gomez, if you've watched a lot of kind of WCW TV, he's a he's a well known, uh, pretty much a JTTS for the the uh, mid '90s in WCW fame. But I don't, I don't know if he ever made it to a, a Super Show again. I, I would expect him probably to bounce around some random clash again. But uh, he'll at least be in the World War Three Battle Royal, I would think, in 1995. But uh, but yeah, so here he is in, as Alan Iron Eagle, uh, another kind of, for some reason, another Native American kind of gimmick that they had between him and the Renegade Warriors. They had a bevy of them around this point, and uh, as, as we'll see with their opponents, I did not have high hopes for this match. Yeah, well, they're taking on the Freebirds, and my note here is what? These guys are still around. <laughs> They're wearing their leather jackets tonight, and uh, Garvin has dyed his hair brown again, and they, he's let his uh, he's let his beard uh, grow out. <laughs> um, and uh, one little, just before I uh, hand over to you, um, I noticed that the commentators uh, during this match were going on and on about Lee Scott, the rookie referee. <laughs> yeah, like they were really on his back during this match. And um, I've just got a note here. Shall we follow his career, Chad? Lee Scott, to see what happens to him. <laughs> yeah, I don't think much. I don't uh, very remember a lot from him. Uh, so, so this match, it's uh, it, you know, it's it's not going to be good. You just know it. Uh, first, the birds are getting cheered pretty loudly. Oh, uh, Dust. D- Dusty seemed excited to see them. I'll say that. You you could tell there was a couple points in this show where Dusty, you know, you you could tell he was kind of he didn't know much about Allen Iron Eagle. So he was once he saw people he was familiar with like the Freebirds, he kind of got a little pep in his step. Uh, Eagle and Rich get the hot start. Then we get a, a a dreadful transition to the birds on top, which I don't I don't even know. Like it it was poorly poorly executed between Jimmy Jam, your boy, and uh, Eagle, and then uh, Hayes tries to redeem it with a, a fairly good bulldog. 
yeah. uh, after that. But and then, but then, so I, I was excited because I was like, oh, okay, so Hayes is ringing the matchup. Immediately goes right into a chin lock. <laughs> uh, we we get a big free bird suck chant. Uh, Hayes hits a punch. The eagle just completely no sales. And JR and Dusty are left, uh, kind of flabbergasted. And then we get a, I, I think we get a little bit of a shoot here because, uh, Eagle goes to the outside and Hayes just like waylays on him. Like, uh, like, um, like, I mean, Hayes gives him the left hand. Eagle doesn't sell it at all. Hayes immediately sends him to the outside. Kicks him, chops the shit out of him on the yeah. outside. I mean, really paced him with it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I took that as him taking a little liberties there. And Garvin gets in a stomp because he's a douche too. Uh, so, so then, uh, Garvin crotches himself in an extremely awkward fashion to give the, uh, to, to let him give the hot tag. Uh, the, Chaos is ensuing. The referee are, you know, rookie of the years doing nothing <laughs> in this match. And they really uh, bury him, don't they? He's lost yeah, the yeah. I mean, he, he's just sort of standing there watching all this direct cheating and everything transpire. So Eagle has the pin on Garvin, but Hayes kicks him. Um, and then the uh, the hot tag is 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 made, but the ref doesn't see it, and the birds come in, give the double DDT, and win. Uh, and, and Dusty had a great line here where he said he turned out the lights of the TP. So <laughs> so just just to put a cherry on this uh, on this shit show, Garvin then after the win gets into the camera and starts his yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was was very fitting over what we watched. Uh, uh, this this might be a worst match of the year contender for me. Says, it was so bad. Garvin says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm coming home, baby." <laughs> <laughs> it's January 1991 now, and he's still doing this shit. <laughs> um, my my note is that I thought it was really fun watching Hayes bully that jobber. Yeah, uh, so. that was my that was my note. I really enjoyed that. Meltzer went one star on it. He said, oh, uh, "Eagles' lack of experience showed." Yeah, uh, um, I'm guessing you'd go into negative if you could for this. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, dud, duds as low as I go. This is a this is a dud for me. That is, uh, <laughs> I, there was so much bad with this. I I don't know. I mean, maybe if you want to give a half a star for Hayes. Beating up Eagle and um yeah and and uh, the good bulldog, but even like the double DDT, like Hayes didn't even bother for the finish. He kind of just put his arm around Eagle's hip and dropped him down, and yeah. uh, uh, this was really bad. I thought, and, uh, well, and then fairly long. I mean, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't fifteen minutes, but it, it felt like they. It was probably about seven or eight minute match. Poor um. Poor Tommy Rich tagging with that complete loser. Yeah, yeah. It's like from NWA champ to doing this now, you know, it's uh, pretty depressing for Rich. Um, um, in fact, he's not in the match a lot, is it? It's mainly, no, it's yeah, mainly, I mean, it's mainly it's, just Eagle getting his ass kicked. Yeah, it's a face in peril for Eagle, and and what Rich did looked okay, but um, uh, this is that match annoys me just thinking about it. <laughs> 
So now Tony Schiavone uh, is with Paulie uh, dangerously, and um, I don't know why, but I'm still surprised to see Tony. Like he fe- he hasn't been back long, has he? Is this a fresh? Uh, no, he's he's been back for a while. He was at was he, uh, was yeah, he at Star he King? At, uh, no, yeah, oh yeah, he was at he, I think Capital Combat. Was he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, um, t- Tony is there, and I'm always, I'm still happy to see him. Um, because uh, for me, he's one of those guys who is synonymous with WCW, right? Uh, in my mind, <laughs> is he? Is he not? He's like Mister WCW in my mind. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say in WCW's history, for for good or bad, Tony's the voice of WCW. Um. Anyway, Paulie uh, is claiming in a kind of yeah, Andy, is... <laughs> Andy Kaufman-esque angle to be the intergender arm wrestling champion. <laughs> And then Dusty cuts a promo on him, uh, essentially insinuating that he's gay. Gay. Yes. Um, oh, any, any thoughts on this? Uh, the, the, Dusty. Oh man, I, I don't know. Uh, Ross couldn't contain himself yeah, uh, throughout um, all this. You could you could <laughs> see the glee in Ross's face as Dusty pretty much kept calling Paulie gay. Um. It was. Not, I don't know. I don't know whether this um, was good or bad or not. So, well, they do like a little cutscene thing. So, they, like, there's um, Dusty and um, I don't know why Dusty's involved in this angle, but it's <laughs> Dusty, Dusty and uh, Jr. on one screen, and Paulie with Tony on the other screen. Yeah. And you can see um, Paulie uh, cuts this. Um, he says he's gonna arm wrestle Missy Hyatt and rid WCW of it once and for all. And he says, white and black, Jew and Gentile, will shout we're free at last. And then Jim Ross is absolutely cracking up. Like you can see, you can see that he cannot, he's, he can't contain himself. It's very funny. Um, so that was a really bizarre little segment. And um, D- D- Dusty lets rip with a homophobic uh, comment as well, um, which is a little bit kind of given that. Uh, Dusty is one of the campus wrestlers of all time. Is a little bit hypocritical, right? Right. Um, so, anyway, speaking of star power, uh, jumping Joey Mags now. <laughs> yes, is, is taking on. Yeah. Uh, I, I did think that Sid's entrance to this match was quite impressive. He kind of like he's on like a little turntable thing. Mm-hmm. Do you remember has that? a spotlight. Kind of has a spotlight on him. Uh, he looks very imposing. Yeah, he's got a great body, Sid, if nothing else, you know. Right. Uh, jump in Joey Mags, any thoughts? Well, Joey Mags in the same vein as Joe Gomez is another of your uh, quintessential JTTSs for WCW. Um, mm-hmm. and nothing, you know, nothing, nothing to this match, of course. It's a straight job for, for Sid. Sid... And jobber matches always looks pretty good. I, I especially liked his run uh, right as he turned heel in 1992 WCW, where he was destroying people. Uh, look, all his power moves, Mags made him look pretty good. I did like that Sid beat him up when he gets stretchered out. So if, if you want to do a jobber match, I thought this was the way to kind of do it. This is basically the best possible light to present Sid in. This is this right. is what he does well. Just like right. 
job of, you know, one-minute squash. Yes. Um, awesome powerbomb, I thought. He almost basically stuck Mags through the canvas. It was so... Yeah. It was insane. Um, so when the EMTs and the stretcher came out, it made sense. And then he... Um, and uh, I thought it was actually like the book is saying for once, look, kids, this guy is a heel. And I thought it was about time. Like, what the hell has Sid been doing for the past three or four months? So sure. at, at least this is Dusty. You can see now Dusty saying, look, this guy is still a heel. He's still a dick, you know. Um, and he needed to do that because he's been getting cheered for months now, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it was important. Yeah, uh, just just on the subject of Joey Mags and um, uh, Joe Gomez, my uh, my old uh, you know the Chief J historian on the Titans of Wrestling, um, uh, Kelly, uh, mm-hmm. he's talked about doing a top hundred jobbers at one point, and I wonder where those guys would rank if they. Yeah, they'd have to rank on there. Um, top top fifty, top forty. Jump Jumpin' Joey has always been kind of one of my favorites. I thought he. Uh, Always just never really did anything, but always was a name and always looked pretty good. Uh, I'd, I'd certainly put Joey Max in the ring for that. Um, so now there's an awful little segment uh, shilling the new hotline number, <laughs> which couldn't look more 1991 if it tried. <laughs> um, did you I'm, see the uh, names that they had for some of these? Uh, no, uh, d- d- uh, d- explain. <laughs> uh, well, each day is like a theme. So Monday is, I wrote all these down. Monday <laughs> is Tony Schiavone announces. Tuesday, yeah. Steve Beverly. Wednesday's Missy Does Mail. Thursday is Straight Up with Sting. Friday is Lex on the Level, which I don't even know what that means. And uh, Saturday's Jim Ross Report. Sunday's Polly. Wow. So, yeah, it showed clips of them all on the phone. Yes, uh, I, I saw that, yeah. No, they yeah. came up very quickly, those uh, names. I didn't get um, I didn't get a chance to write them all down. It's funny that the Ross, Ross is still using the Ross Report all these right. years later. Right. Uh, he's, he's very committed to that name, isn't he? Um, I did note down the number, though. Uh, one, uh, 900. 900, yeah, I got that number memorized. 909, 99, I don't, right. know, I don't know what would happen if you call that number now, <laughs> but um, it's two dollars for the first minute and then forty-five cents for each additional minute. <laughs> so you could rack up a pretty uh, quick bill if you spent twenty, oh, min- yeah. 20 minutes on there. What's that? Ten dollars, twelve dollars. Yeah, it's quite a lot for nineteen ninety-one. Um, I did notice an awful lot of shilling on this show in general, um, more than previous clashes. I would say they really ramped this up at this point. Yeah, they would, They showed a lot of promos for Wrestle War. We had the wrestling wrap up, the hotline, uh, kind of all their stuff was getting shielded. And uh, yeah, I did think the stuff with all the guys on the phone was funny, especially Jim Ross's face around this. Uh, Jim Ross, I think, in general looks funny <laughs> around this period. Like, uh, um, but what's happened to Gordon Soley and Lance Russell? Are they still on the books? Uh, I, I know Soley is still technically working with the company, even though he's not coordinating. Yeah, they're both still. Tolling away, but uh, like this would be a capacity to use them in. I thought, but right, right. they're not involved. Um, the, the other little random uh, question I have about this show is that in the Gainesville Arena, there they had um, kind of like big kind of pictures, portraits of people in lights on the wall. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed like Arn Anderson was one of them. I want to say like Sting was one of them. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that another one of them was Ivan Koloff. 
who was who was that? It was a bit random. Like I couldn't tell. The one next to uh, Arn. Yeah, who was that? Yeah, I couldn't ever really make that out. I don't know if it was just a dreadful picture of Barry Windham or what the deal was. I couldn't tell. He looked like Ivan Co- like the closest wrestler I could think to that though was Ivan Koloff. Was I it? would I would hope it was not Uncle Ivan. <laughs> Why on earth would they have a picture of him on the wall? The only other thought I had is because it was uh, uh, Georgia. Could have been like an old picture of Ole or something, but it didn't really look like him. Weird. Uh, anyway, uh, the newest member of the York Foundation comes out now. Terry Taylor, the computerized man of the 90s. Yeah, not, not yet. Not as the match begins. So. Uh, oh, no, no, not yet. Sorry. Um, oh, did you see the woman in the crowd in the very, very, very 90s pink Lex Luger kind of sweater? Did you see her? <laughs> no, I, I missed that. <laughs> um, there's something about those... Um, like sweaters that people wore in the night they're so yeah. so dated now you know <laughs> um, yeah my uh, mom uh, used to wear a lot of like christmas sweaters that now have kind of came back as like a ha 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 ugly mm-hmm. christmas sweater thing but uh yeah I, I, I have vague memories of most of my early childhood holiday pictures her just wearing a dreadful christmas sweater yeah well people just kind of wore those all all year round you know and that that woman in the lex luger top uh yeah she d- deserved a mention <laughs> um uh so yeah no terry taylor's not announced yet that's that's right that he just comes out to wrestle this match against uh ricky morton right uh is gibson i'm guessing still injured um is he yes yeah yeah as far as we know um I don't know when they gave him the boot, though, because very quickly it'll just be Ricky. Oh, no, yeah, he comes back because they have the match at uh, they have the match at Great American Bash. That's right, so it's after this. Uh, and uh, D- Morton's actually looking in decent shape here, I think. Yeah. He looks pretty yeah. good. Um, there's, there's mention of the World Six-Man Tag Champions, um, which uh, yeah. is here. Which was... Which was something they still kept even later on in the year, but uh, was never really featured prominently on the Super Shows. So my, my, my only memory is JYD was one of them. Yeah, wait, wasted opportunity. I mean, later on in the year, I know like the York Foundation was very uh, hotly contested. Free Birds and Bad Street, of course, were big contenders for that but uh yeah nothing that they really ever featured on the super shows um my view uh, surprise surprise is that the six-man tag championships are a complete waste of time uh the roster's just not big enough to carry another set of titles like that in my right view. So, uh i just do you like what's the point did, do you have any views i mean it's just Texas well yeah that, i mean they they didn't treat it very seriously so they certainly could have done away with it yeah, I just don't like when you get uh, titles that are that low down on the card. It's just pointless. I think. It's I not... think. I think if you had the roster, a six-man title could be something fun. Like even WWE current day with the factions they have now, possibly could do something they, like that. They, but, they, uh, they could have done it in 1997, 98 sort of time. Yeah, yep. they, yeah. They had the, the roster then to do it. You know. Right. Um, anyway, this on paper doesn't look like a bad match, Taylor versus Morton. So, what did you think? So, so I like this match a lot. I'm interested to hear your thoughts uh, because I uh, I really dug this one. Uh, you get a handshake at the beginning, and then some some I thought fairly good chain wrestling. I thought I thought Taylor in particular 
was very motivated in this match. I think mm-hmm. a lot of that has to do with what happens coming up, but uh, he seemed very motivated. Morton gave a series of unique arm drags that weren't just straight kind of float over arm drags. They were applied at different angles and looked a little different to make them more effective to me. Uh, work, works his headlock spot, does the crossbody, then we go to break. Uh, we come back and Taylor kind of has him in an arm lock. Morton reverses that and is still able to have the advantage of the match, which I like because you start to see a little frustration creep into Terry's face. Uh, the match match started out with a handshake. They were very gentlemanly. And then with Morton having the early advantage throughout the first portion of this match, you start to see Terry get a little flustered, a little pissed. Alexander York at this time comes out and immediately Taylor accuses Morton of kind of being associated with her. And uh, Morton then goes and looks towards her and jaw jacks with her by the ropes and Taylor uses that opportunity to take a cheap shot, hits him from behind and basically we have a turn mid-match where now Taylor is a member of the York Foundation uh, gets extremely more cocky from this point on but I like the way that it was elevated like you you saw within this not very long match but within this eight minutes we got uh, kind of white meat baby face Terry Taylor slowly evolving into a cocky prick Terry Taylor and I, I really enjoyed that Taylor's offense I thought as a heel looked good small package by Morton gave him a hope spot but then my favorite spot of the match as soon as that happens Taylor gets back up and rakes the eyes so he, he uses these heel maneuvers now and just taking shortcuts he's jaw jacking with Nick Patrick uh, Taylor gets a bulldog, and then this is when Morton makes his comeback, gives some of the uh, double punches in the corner, and gives a suplex. And he goes for a drop kick, but Taylor ducks, and Morton kind of wipes out on the ropes and hits the top of his head, and Taylor's able to pin him for the uh, for the victory. So I gave this match three stars. I enjoyed it a good deal, and I really thought Taylor worked well. I think Meltzer went four and a quarter, four and a half. Four and a quarter? Jesus. Uh, no, no, sorry, three and, sorry, three and a quarter, three oh, and a half. Okay, so yeah, I can many, see that. How many type is a quarter or a half there? Okay, uh, I was going to say four and a quarter. I mean, no, I liked so, it, but sorry, it wasn't no. eight match. Yeah, no, no, three, um, three and a half, I want to say. Uh, yeah, I, I can see that. I, I'd go right around there as well, uh, Chad, about three stars. Uh, I thought uh, Morton's arm drags were really good during this match. Mm-hmm. Um now, Melter says in his review that um, Taylor is going to be better in this role. So, I mean, to the, to the surprise of absolutely no one, Alexandra York announces that Taylor is the newest member of the York Foundation, which, right. I, I mean, I guess even then you could see coming off a million miles, right? Uh, right. Who else is it going to be, you know? Um, and um, Melter says that uh, Taylor should be better in the role than Mike Rotunda anyway, because he's got more personality. He's a better interview. And judging from his recent TV matches, he's one of the best workers in the country, once again. Very high praise from Meltzer for uh, Taylor there. Any thoughts? Uh, do you think uh, one of the best workers in the country? Yeah, I, I disagree with that. Taylor had a series of matches in November with Arn Anderson that were fine. But uh, 
a little unspectacular. Certainly don't get a vibe of him being one of the best workers in the country uh, for me. Better than my old buddy, Mike Rotunda, though. Uh, yeah, well, I would take him over Rotunda. Like this. <laughs> I, uh, I actually disagree. I think uh, I think Rotunda's better suited to this role than Taylor. Um, I think that this is a perfect gimmick for Mike Rotunda, as was IRS. I think that those are the things that he does well, you know. Um, anyway, um, so, yeah, and uh, he also criticizes the way the term was handled. He says it didn't really register well with the crowd, and uh, it wasn't put over that well by the commentators either. Um, yeah, well, that, that's, that's one of those things where that gets into the, you know, our favorite overarching debate of, well, if <laughs> just because the commentators suck, is that, I mean, I'm not going to, penalize taylor because mm. dusty didn't know what the hell was going on you know i mean yeah. I, I don't i don't think that's his fault because i thought within the match taylor did a perfect job of kind of showing his frustration and then once york came out it was almost like he didn't have to hide anymore you know he could then go all out and be a complete heel so well, presumably dusty booked this so yeah yeah i, I mean i, I would think I, I think that's just Dusty being preoccupied with something else. So, yeah, I mean, Dusty certainly should know what was going on. but uh, Right. Now, I did want to mention this because Taylor and Dusty have some pretty famous history, um, which, as Terry Taylor tells it, all goes back to an incident that happened on a plane once where Terry Taylor was busting out his like best Dusty impersonation, didn't realize Dusty was sitting behind him. And... Um, Dusty held a grudge from that moment onwards. And if you remember, he fired Terry Taylor back before the Red Rooster thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why Taylor went to WF. And then um, now that Taylor, now that Dusty's back booking Taylor, because um, Taylor like wanted to have, like uh, he had like a burgeoning career as a, as a booker as well um, at that point. And like Dusty did whatever he could to stop Taylor getting... Uh, kind of power within the office and stuff like that. It was all kind of... They had, like, one of those kind of quite bitter little rivalries backstage, you know? Right. Um, and I, I was wondering whether Taylor was really turning it on in this match <clears throat> because he knew that his ass was on the line, that he if he didn't do well here, Dusty would find any excuse to get rid of him again. Um, and I also wondered if that played into Dusty basically no-selling the angle on commentary. <laughs> Um, just, uh, just a little thought, that's all. Uh, so I was thinking possibly from this match, uh, for the question for this week, I would like to hear some other instances of a turn within a match. Um, cause, cause I thought this one f- kind of flies under the radar. I mean, you know about the Barry Wyndham turn, mm-hmm. uh, to the Horseman in 88. Of course, you know, the double turn, Stone Cold and Bret Hart. But but this one I thought I was I was really impressed with the execution of how they pulled this one off from just what Taylor was doing in the ring. So 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 what's the what's the question, Chad? I, I would just say what's your favorite kind of underrated uh, favorite or underrated turn that happens within a match? Right. Um, kind of doing a match, not yeah so. yeah, where somebody starts off as a. As a baby, it, it's probably going to be more of a baby face to a heel, but they start off as a baby face, and then within that match, they're a heel by the end of it. Mm, that's a good question. I'd have to put my thinking cap on there to think, yeah. uh, to think about that. Um, 
Okay, so uh, just before um, we get on to the next match, uh, Bill Apter is with Sting, who's won the Most Inspirational Wrestler of the Year uh, award for overcoming injury and showing <laughs> bravery in the face of adversity. Right. Um, and do, oh, did, did you see this uh, trophy? <laughs> yeah, it was a nice uh, trophy for Sting to hang on the mantle there. <laughs> it looked uh, pretty old school, this trophy. And, uh, <laughs> it was an old school trophy. Bill, Bill Apter, uh, yeah, um, looking <laughs> yeah, weird. Um, again, another spot that Gordon Soley could have done, maybe. But uh, I, I guess Bill Apter um, gives it legitimacy, right? Because uh, was it PWI award for most inspiration? Yeah, 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 this was a PWI. So. Um, and then Dusty gives a random promo about kicking ass in the Persian Gulf. Yes, this is uh, maybe one of my favorite promos of the year, actually. <laughs> uh, watching all the 1991 stuff, I wanted to talk about this. Yeah. Dusty, Dusty cuts a uh, absolutely spirited promo, uh, pretty much saying, you know, whether you agree with the politics or not, it don't matter because they're going to kick ass in Iraq and then they're coming home and all this and Boy, he riles the crowd up. Yeah, they cut to the crowd and they're waving the flags. And I, th- I thought this was some some uh, quintessential Dusty here. One of the yeah. one of the highlights, kind of in the in the last half of his career, really on the mic. No, it's it's, it's a great promo. Um, my only criticism is that it comes out of like it's apropos of nothing. <laughs> like yeah, get like this and the and the and the stuff his involvement in the missy hyatt thing earlier it's like like okay it's cool it's fun to see dusty doing this stuff but like why it just comes out of nowhere it's just like it's just him like giving himself some little highlights for no it doesn't tie into anything you know what i mean right right oh also they showed the all japan women that were coming oh, yeah. to wrestle for, yeah. which that was kind of a culture shock i had to make sure i didn't click the wrong thing on my uh, i watched this on daily motion yeah, what was that? What was that? Was really bizarre. Uh, they they'll have a match at uh, Wrestle War, so it was basically hyping that. Right. So uh, on to the next match now, and uh, brace yourselves, listeners, because what the flying fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Ranger Ross is back. <laughs> Young of the comer, according to Jim. <laughs> Ranger Ross, um, and he's taking on El Cubano. <laughs> um, now, Chad, you told me he's gone. We, yeah, we, we, I, uh, I'd had a lapse on this one. We gave him a big send-off and everything. <laughs> I, <know>. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known with the uh, Desert Desert Shield that he, uh, <clears throat> he would kind of make a glorious return. So, Boy, did he ever. Where the big boys play favorite, Ranger Ross back, and he even gets an insert promo. <laughs> yes. Uh, during which he says his prayers for the troops. So, I mean, I guess, that in fairness to Dusty, uh, this got the cry pump for Ranger Ross's appearance. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's using kind of real life situation to still go with the guy, and we'll we'll see this throughout 1991 i mean the the patriots are just around the corner so there was a, a good bit of kind of patriotic gimmicks that would uh happen in 91 wcw and uh, just before we go into the match i thought ross and dusty put ranger ross over huge on commentary 
Yeah. Like they talked about him as a, uh, I did think that Ross, uh, had a, uh, Jim Ross, this is, had a pretty strange comment though. He's a hero for the people of any colour. Did he need to say that? That was a bit of an odd. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know they're in Georgia, but co- like, did he need to say of any colour? What does color? that mean? They're in Georgia. Like, well, there's you know, no, there's no black people in Georgia. No, no I, well, I mean, like, uh, maybe, 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 because it, it seemed to me that he was basically saying that for anybody who might be racist. I don't, I don't know, like. Yeah, why... <laughs> I think that was, I think that was some of Ross's, uh, underlining maybe opinions and stuff kind of creeping out. Just, just a slightly off, off, off comment, uh, I mm. thought from Ross there. But, um, yes, uh, how, what do we make of Ranger Ross's return against El Cubano? Yeah. So, so this wasn't much again. Uh, D- Dusty really got into the psychology of wrestling a masked man. Mm. So I thought it was kind of interesting. He was like, you can't see his facial expression. You don't know what he's thinking, you know. We, but uh, but Ranger really kind of put it together. Uh, he dominated most of the match. I didn't think he looked really as bad as he usually does up until the spot where he dives over the the top rope and lands on the floor. That looked really awkward. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Ranger picks up the victory. I didn't, I didn't think there was much, uh, much to this, of course, at all. So, yeah, and uh, El Cubano, of course, is uh, David uh, Sierra. Who, yeah, uh, yeah, Fidel Sierra, or, uh, the Cuban assassin. The Cuban assassin still knocking about as he would do for the next decade. Uh, another, another big uh, jobber. On the hillside, so yeah, I, I don't. I, that's another one for you, Kelly. Uh, I don't know where he ranks. Uh, that's, there's a lot of very uh, big decisions to make in that uh, <laughs> job, a top 100. Um, I would, um, yeah, th- th- not a lot to write home about here. Just a m- match to get the crowd pumped and put Ranger Ross over. Yeah, yeah. Um, amazing that he's got a job somehow. Uh, or did he did just get brought in for this one date? Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 now, I don't want to say it, and then he crops up again, but I'm almost positive this is the last we'll see of the Good Rangers. So. Oh, well. <laughs> um, what a shame. Um, now, uh, speaking of dudes that uh, should have been fired already, uh, <laughs> the Renegade Warriors now. Um, still, like, how in the hell have these guys still got jobs on international promotion? Um, it seems ridiculous to me. Um, and they're taking on Arn Anderson and uh, Barry Windham. And before we get into this match, I have to say a couple of things. First of all, how cool are the horsemen? Like, <laughs> even in 1991, Arn just looked so cool coming out with Barry here. Like, I just thought they looked awesome coming out. Mm-hmm. And um, the other, th- my other note is that Chris Youngblood just looks so fat and out of shape here. <laughs> He's just like, I think the word pudgy... The word pudgy yeah, basically yeah. describes him. Right. Um, so, yeah, what did you make of uh, this uh, uh, highlight of uh, Arn and Barry's career here? So I was pleasantly surprised by this match, i got to say. Um, I, I didn't expect much at all from the Renegade Warriors. Uh, Barry in 90 was a weird case with the counterfeiting stuff. Um, and, and one thing you'll see as we go along, both with the super shows and with the TV watches, Wendell in 91 really puts together a really good year. 
like a like a sneaky great year kind of in wrestling history i think in a lot of ways and this felt like the start of it to me as i thought the uh of course the horsemen kind of get a face reaction coming out mm-hmm. but but i thought the renegade warriors for their part i mean uh, you know a lot of it's the horseman's reaction like anderson gives a crazed reaction mm-hmm. at the beginning at the power of the renegade warriors but i did think the renegade warriors did what they could do well to kind of try to get the crowd a little bit behind them yeah and you you slowly saw the crowd starting to get behind them dusty had a good line where he said uh he liked the renegade warriors they dressed nice and got some fire in their soul brother (laughs) 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 just completely off the rails uh so so the Warriors still kind of have the advantage, and Anderson is completely frustrated, calls for a timeout, uh, and then and then they build up some steam, and Anderson hits the spine buster to take over. Barry Wyndham uh, gets a suplex for a near fall. And then in another uh, quintessential dusty moment, Anderson has the front face lock on. And Dusty says, you know, if you if you think this move doesn't hurt, just ask your wife to sit up in the living room and put this move on her and see and see how long it takes her to squeal or whatever. And then uh, so so Ross quickly like covers for this. And he's he's like, no, there's a lot of men in trouble out there. And and Dusty gives a a quick disclaimer of like, oh, no, you can't do that. We couldn't live without them or whatever and that you love them and (laughs) all this. But that was a very, a very bizarre uh, in a night of bizarre Dusty comments. Uh, so, so young blood blocks the rope move that Anderson, and I, I never know what he's trying to go. I guess a splash off the bottom rope, but, uh, young blood kind of barely gets his knees up. That looked pretty bad. And then, uh, he tags out the house of fire. I thought was, was fairly solid and the horsemen are able to show their resourcefulness by kind of outsmarting the, uh, renegade warriors using their double team. Wyndham gets a lariat and then a superplex from the top and Anderson pins them. So I thought this was a better match than you would have thought going in. Uh, good, good showcase for the horsemen. I thought they both looked really good here and the renegade warriors. I thought this was the best they looked as well. So yeah, well, I enjoyed it. Meltzer was really high in this match. He went three and a quarter. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's fair? That's a bit over the top. I, I was I was about two and three quarters myself. I didn't think it was quite as good as Taylor versus Morton, but uh, but I, I liked it, and I really did not expect it to be good at all. Um, no, no, no. Melter says here that Arn Anderson probably has the best facial expressions in the business. Agreed. Um, and he is just on fire doing this match. Um, but he says uh, that he was probably the best performer on this card. Um, so if we were, if Meltzer was on here, he'd pick uh, Arn for MV- MVP for the show, which I thought was interesting. Um, I actually like for all the shit I've given Chris Youngblood about being pudgy, etc. Um, I actually thought he was very good in the face and power sequence, taking punishment from Arn and Barry. Mm-hmm. He made yeah. he made the Horseman look really good. Um, and I'll say that I could watch Horseman work squash matches all day uh, and not get bored. I love it, you know. Um, they're really good at working against uh, kind of lesser opposition because they always give enough to make it seem like they may have a little chance, but essentially they um, they 
uh, kick the crap out of them, which is always great to see, you know. Right, yeah, this wasn't like a straight squash, but it went about eight minutes, and, I mean, you knew the horsemen were going to win, so they did a really good job here, given yeah. just enough. And, I, yeah, I've, I've just got this match on in the in the background, uh, Chad, and uh, Ivan Koloff, uh, the picture, I've just seen a close-up of it, and I think it is just an awful, awful picture of Barry Windham. Yeah, uh, who has a sorta. who has a mustache uh, beard combo thing at this point. So, um, so yeah, no, good, good match. I wouldn't go quite as high as three and uh, three and a quarter. Probably the, about the same as you, Chad. Two, two and three quarters. So sounds, yeah. sounds, sounds about right. Which is half, which is pre- pretty good for a seven minute squash match. Right. Um, sure. Now we get a clip from Japan. Yes. Um, where uh, we see Vader versus Hanson. Um, which I thought was really interesting to to see this uh, clip from Japan here, and, um, and afterwards Hansen is with Tony Schiavone uh, to announce that they've signed a rematch for Wrestle War, and uh, Hansen's like, "You haven't seen wrestling like this before. This is, this is going to be brutal, basically." Um, what do you think of this little segment? I thought it was really interesting. Yes, yeah, so this is how they hyped this match. It's kind of a wild, out-of-control match, and they would show uh, on the TV a couple times, they showed the the uh, the clip from the February 1990 Tokyo Dome match, and I, th- I thought it was a, an interesting approach to trying to sell a match. The WrestleWar card overall between this, the All Japan Women, and the War Games has... Uh, three pretty interesting concepts. I mean, of course, War Games is quintessential Dusty coming back. You knew War Games would come back, so, so we have that there. But uh, the other the other portions of this card being built up, I think, are there were some interesting developments with how they presented the card overall. Yeah, and uh, I'd say um, that they. I think they probably missed a little trick though. They should have mentioned, given that they played the clip from the Tokyo Dome match, they should have hyped up more. Last time these two men faced each other, Vader lost an eye or something. I, yeah. They, they should have hyped that up more because it, like, it actually happened, you know? So right. just to give it that sense of brutalness and legitimacy, and etc., they could have made something of it. I mean, I, I can understand if Vader didn't want to or whatever, but I think that would have been the logical way to book that one. Um, and here's the big rematch, and we're going to get it on American soil type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yep, I'm looking forward to watching that uh, Wrestle War. In fact, I can't. I, you know, my memories of Wrestle War are really uh, hazy at this point. I can't. I'm, I'm. It may be the one show that I haven't seen. Uh, does that have a a, a, a War Games on it? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. No, I've definitely seen it because it's the one where. Uh, Pillman gets uh, right. Yeah, and no, I've definitely seen it. I can't. I have no memory of that of that match. Uh, Hanson Vader, none at all. Uh, it does happen though, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. yeah it happens. Uh, weird. It's right. it's pretty short, but we'll get to it when we get there. Yeah. Um. So Brian Pillman uh, now is uh, taking on. Uh, speaking of star power, Buddy Lee Parker. <laughs> uh, is this the first time we're seeing uh, Parker? Uh, yeah, I think so. In one of these super shows, he was, I don't, I don't think he'd quite started the state patrol yet, but, uh, he, he's going by Sergeant though. Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's in the get up. So, yeah. And, um, just a squash really. Um, I thought Pillman, uh, looked good though. 
Yeah, Pillman did a couple of moves in this match. It was a you know, good good showcase for him, but he did a couple of moves. One, he was on the uh, outside of the ropes, and uh, Parker tries to flip him in, and Pillman flips over the top and lands on his feet and then does a spinning, uh, spinning kick that I thought looked good. And then uh, he did his high crossbody to the outside of the rampway, which Dusty put over huge and was flabbergasted to see so for for first squash match i mean pillman ends up winning with the crossbody on the inside and probably it's probably like three or four minutes but uh but another good squash match that made pillman look really good yeah um yeah no i thought it like it did its job you know uh that's all you can want from a squash match and i I still think that um they missed a trick with pillman uh every time i see him i think that more and more um, right. This was the time to really give him a decent run, you know, decent push. Sure. Um, now, uh, arm wrestling time. Uh, <laughs> poorly, uh, dangerously taking on um, Missy Hyatt. And um, a couple of things. Uh, Reuben Jones, two-time country... Rhubarb. Rhubarb. Oh, sorry, Rhubarb Jones. Yeah, Rhubarb. Yeah. A little typo by me there in my notes. Rhubarb Jones, two-time country DJ of the year, is our special guest. Uh, you a fan of his, uh, Chad? Huge fan of Rhubarb. <laughs> uh, legit? You... No, being facetious. <laughs> never, never really heard of him until this. And um, Johnny Walker is our uh, timekeeper. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, Paulie's announced as the psycho yuppie. Uh, and he comes out in a pink top with Danger Zone as his uh, as his music. Uh, no, sorry, Danger Zone's on the back of the pink top. Right. Um, he's wearing a very very nineties looking uh, t shirt here. This uh, this Danger Zone top. Uh, and Hyatt I like then... when he, uh, he he came out. Then he got on the top ropes and he did like the pose, like <laughs> the uh, strong man pose. I thought that was very good. <laughs> and uh, Missy's looking exceptionally nineties here as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, Paulie at one point shouts at her, "Come on, you stupid broad!" He shouts at her, <laughs> which is uh, you know pretty. Uh, and uh, Melter's got a big note on this match, uh, where he goes off on a little rant. Uh, he says, this is one of those things that you're either going to love or hate, with little ground in between. I believe that just about every female subscriber uh, called about this match and felt that the post-match comments by Dusty and Jim, I swear I'm really not Ranger Ross's brother, um, were offensive. Uh, what did they say? I can't. I didn't notice any... Uh... Well, they just... I mean, they were basically... Uh... Dusty was basically frothing at the mouth at the, you know, he, I mean, there was a lot of jokes. So, so what happens is Missy takes some time to gear up and Polly's ready to go and blah, blah, blah. And Mi- Missy has a jacket on and then she takes off the jacket and she's wearing a, uh, I guess like an aerobics type singlet underneath and you can certainly see her cleavage and yep. she gets, she gets Polly's attention and Polly's staring, you know, mouth wide open at the cleavage and doesn't realize that Missy is, uh, won the arm wrestling contest and Jim and Jim and Dusty are, you know, there was a lot of, well, he had a couple of things on his mind or I'd like to see that yeah. one or two more times. So, 
a lot of kind of innuendos. And uh, Dusty does say, poorly let us all down. He let us all down. Uh, yeah, he so. got humiliated every man and all that, you know. So, <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, in, in the wrestling, I guess in the wrestling moral compass scheme of things, I didn't think this was that bad, but that's a pretty low bar. This uh, is a so. well. This is practically feminism in wrestling terms. Isn't yeah. It? yeah so. <laughs> um, now I will say uh, that uh, even in 2014, uh, looking back, Missy Hyatt did have a rack on her at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. I, I don't know if I've uh, done feminism a disservice. Apologies to any female. Uh, all of our fans. female <laughs> listeners. All of our female <laughs> listeners are no more. <laughs> we have so many. Um, yeah, but well, I mean, you know, she she's that's, that's all right, isn't it? To say that she's got good, she's well, yeah. I mean, her her money was spent well. We'll say that. <laughs> um, and now in a little segment, uh, I thought this was interesting. Uh, Rick Rick Flair is in uh, LT Sports Sports Bar. Yes. Uh, with um, of all people, Mike Rotunda. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so so here's who's sitting at this table. It's a table of <laughs> Ric Flair, uh, Mike Rotunda, Alexander York, yeah, uh, Kevin Sullivan, and Woman. Yeah, and Lawrence Taylor. And Lawrence Taylor, yeah, LT. Uh, so he was at that East Rutherford thing. They did a they did this promo on um, all TV as well, and 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 LT. I mean, I don't, I don't know what he said here, or it, it made no sense. It was like if, if you, I, I don't even want to paraphrase, but this was uh, Rotunda was having the time of his life in the background, trying to make sense of what LT was saying. He had this big grin, showed more personality than he ever did in the ring. Uh, I'll tell you that much. And uh, uh, this is just a random. <laughs> Very random segment. Yeah, I thought it was interesting to see LT involved with WCW here, considering that he ends up actually wrestling for WWF. So he must have been one of these guys who was a fan, you know? Like yeah, who, yeah, he's he's a legit fan, but uh, yeah. Well, a bigger bigger name than uh, old uh, what's his name? Wonder Wonder Years Wonder Stuff. Jason Hervey. <laughs> Jason. <laughs> Bigger, bigger name than Jason Hervey, I, I, I reckon. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I, but I thought it was cool to see Flair as Flair again. For like, we, we like, I don't know. I feel like Flair's getting his mojo back a bit at this point, right? You know? uh, in, in character wise, because um, he seemed like a big deal uh, on this, like in that little segment, um, and now. Uh, Flair, and Flair's got his short hair at this point. Uh, he's had his hair cut. Um, good. Compared to the last time we saw him. Yeah, I would, yeah, yeah, I'd say compared to most of what we saw in 1990, this is good. Um, we're told that Hiro Matsuta is back, uh, representing New Japan now. Um, so what, <laughs> what was going on at this point? Like They had a deal with New Japan, and they had a deal with All Japan at the same time. All Japan women, yeah. All Japan so, women. So, so that was kind of like, like a one-off, uh, pretty much Wrestle War. But yeah, they were still. This was when the New Japan stuff really kind of heated up uh, for for them. Um, really, the beginning where they do the uh, Super Show at the Tokyo Dome in 
March and then uh, and then Fujinami comes over for Super Brawl in May. Yeah, and but New Japan and All Japan had a little stint of kind of working together a bit more during this time as well, right? Right. Right. Yeah, they had those uh, kind of combination shows where they weren't really facing uh, each other, but they like they like an All Japan and a New Japan match would be on a Super Show. Yeah. But uh, but that's that's pretty much by the wayside now. So now we have. Uh, uh, New Japan working with WCW, and we still have the SWS partnership with WWL from around this time. Right, but I, I guess they must have some deal because of a Hanson and Vader, uh, who is still sort of uh, with all like I don't really get how the because Hanson's basically working for WCW and all Japan at this time, right? Yeah, this as we'll see, Hanson. Uh, it's pretty much out the door. So, right, once, yeah, so okay. once the New Japan deal kicks into uh, high gear, I'm, I'm fairly certain, don't quote me on it, but I'm fairly certain Wrestle War is Hanson's last appearance. So that was right as the New Japan stuff was heating up. So and, that may have been a contingency. And Vader's basically 100% WCW by this point? Right, but he was he was, uh, he was was a New Japan guy anyway. So that right. wouldn't have mattered. Right, yep. okay. Um Right, so uh, this is the main event now. Ric Flair right. taking on Scott Steiner. Um, El Gigante still around, uh, and uh, I'm wondering where he gets his clothes. <laughs> uh, uh, in general, like uh, how, when you're that big, where do you where do you get your clothes? I would uh, guess it's custom, but uh, but yeah, I liked that Flair bitched him out. Did you know? I'm sure yeah. you enjoyed that. Yeah, no, I I enjoyed it as well. Um, and uh, it, he's wearing one of those like American sports jackets, uh, which yeah, um, like a Letterman. Yeah, type, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, he's towers over Rick Steiner. It's absolutely massive. But <laughs> Flair, Flair shows no fear. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. El Gigante goes for a handshake, and his hand looks as big as Flair's head. Yeah. And and Flair just kind of stares at him. He actually steps up, points a finger in his chest, tells him he's the man, and tells him to back the hell away. And and Gigante is just like gobsmacked at this, and then just goes right back out of the ring. <laughs> Yeah. So, <laughs> completely gets bitched out. Looks <laughs> looks absolutely awful. You know, this seven foot seven man is being talked to by uh, by Flair, and all, all he can do is just kind of shake his head and walk away and give a high five to Scott Steiner on his way out. So, yeah, really, really pathetic. Hear uh, hear hear how much the kids love him, according to Jr. Yeah, there's something about El Gigante. He he seems like he should be hanging out in like, you know, like Michael Jackson's Wonderland or something. Like, uh, <laughs> like he seems like he belongs in that sort of environment. Like he doesn't belong in wrestling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it did look like Flair was just like enough of this shit when he kind of told him off. It was. <laughs> It was a pretty good moment. <laughs> you know, I, I enjoyed it. That was one for the smart fans for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, Flair's in a slightly manic mood tonight. I, I thought he was like taunting Scott, and uh, he seemed to be pretty like uh, pumped for this match. Uh, happy to be champ again, I guess. Uh, but he was like slightly in psycho mood this, this evening. Like he was like, you know, you know, um, uh, he had that like little period where he was like elbow dropping. Um, elbow dropping his coat and stuff in 1998 
<laughs> senile flirt. Yeah, yeah, like this is basically the first signs of the, that kind of insane late flair that we get <laughs> during this match because he is um, he is pretty um, pretty manic. <laughs> uh, what, what did you make of um, what did you make of this? Because according to Dusty Rhodes, this is the best match ever to air on television. Right. Well, Dusty is completely incorrect with that. This is a match I really struggle with. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's tough because like, you know, we, we usually praise giving younger talent a chance and it's, it's a lot of times refreshing to see in some ways, you know, somebody, a younger talent getting the chance and they did elevate us, Scott here, but, but something about this match just never comes together at all. I I think, uh, Flair with his manic personality, he was, Kind of a, a a mess in this match. I don't I don't know. It, it it I thought this was one of the weaker flare matches on a super show that I can really recall seeing. Period. Uh, I didn't think he was very focused. Uh, I, th- I thought this. If you say if you want to say flares like a formula wrestler that I, I I think the you know me and you both have talked about how flare kind of is someone that goes out there and is able to paint a picture, you know, based off a blank canvas. He's not rehearsing moves and sequences in the back. He can just kind of get a feel for the match when he's out there. And this was a match to me where that kind of went against him because he didn't seem to know kind of what to do with Scott's limitations as a worker at this point. Uh, you had Rick on the outside just being a completely fucking annoying. Like, he drove me <laughs> nuts in this match. He, he blindly cheats, which looks bad. He's yelling and barking at Flair. It's, it's. He's wearing a ter- terrible blue kind of. Yeah, base, it looks, looks like. <laughs> looks like a blue jeans hat, like wash blue jeans as a hat. He's uh, like I said, he's constantly interjecting himself. He's like a terrible uh, man. He's like a heel manager is essentially what he is, but for the babyface side, because he's distracting the referee, doing just doing everything to piss me off in this match. Uh, Scott, I didn't think one when he was on top had enough offense to kind of put together anything believable. Uh, I didn't think his selling was particularly inspiring as well, which we know that's not usually a Steiner's uh, strong suit anyway. The the figure four was applied for a long time in this match uh, from both sides. And then then we get a weird finish where Scott hits the belly-to-belly, thinks he pinned him, uh, thinks he won the belt, but the TV time limit expired. So, so a pretty shoddy ending to the match overall. This, uh, I, I really don't like this match. I've watched it about four times now in oh. the past year, and I, I do not like this match. Well, uh, I mean, Meltzer said the first time he saw the match, he thought it was two and a half star tops, but watching it a second time, he thought it was kind of good and gave it two and three quarters. Um, his point is that basically Scott Steiner was put in this position before he had enough experience to really be in this sort of position yeah um and that even though flair has been a miracle worker in the past and pulled great matches out of a whole lot less um it, it didn't happen this time uh he, he criticizes the execution wasn't quite up to uh snuff he says and um yes yeah, so, so he pretty much agrees with you that it's very disappointing this match um and uh but basically points to the fact that Scott Steiner's only ever worked tag matches, so to put him in a main event like this was 
probably a bit premature. Um, would you go lower than that, two and three quarters? Yeah, I uh, in my uh, rankings, I actually went one and a half on the uh, first watch, and I, I maybe can bump it up, but uh, two's probably my cap. I, there's just a lot with. I mean, it, it also I didn't mention this, but the beginning of this match felt like it took forever to get started. Like they just flare kept belling to the outside and. Uh, we had a bunch of restarts, and just the first, uh, I'd say, three or four minutes was absolutely nothing in the match. So I, I have a lot of problems with this one. Like, I I really don't think Flair, honestly, like, knowing all the shows we have coming up, even as we get into 2000, Ric Flair, I don't know if he'll have a worse performance, honestly, to me, than this match. Wow. Um- yeah. Well, I, I have to say, um, I'm not sure if I agree with you, uh, Chad, because I, I, uh, I actually thought this was quite enjoyable. Um, maybe, maybe it's because I came to this match after watching, after being like knee deep in 1980 WF for the previous week, and I was just happy to see Flair again, or, or maybe I was in a good mood or something. But I actually thought I liked the fact that Flair worked this mainly on top, and that Scott, you know. As the lesser, as the lesser kind of the guy with the lesser reputation, spent the majority of the match selling, uh, which I thought he was decent at doing, um, and I thought it was quite refreshing to see Flair dominate a match uh, as much as he did here. Um, Dusty had this line: "He's as numb as a cucumber right now, Jimbo," which uh, I thought was quite entertaining. We got a power bomb. Um, yeah, I, I like. I, I it wasn't brilliant or anything, but. I just didn't, I didn't hate it. Um, so yeah, that I, I guess we disagree uh, uh, on this one. Um, I like, I would have expected this match to be like it has the potential to be like a four star affair. You would have thought, with I, I don't know some of the stuff that we've seen Scott Steiner do already, and like it could have been better than it was, more high spots, etc. Um, but yeah, I. I, I'd probably go along with Meltzer, two and three quarters. It seems about right for this. So um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't think these two match up really well, even on paper. I mean, I mean, it seems good. Like you have the young up and comer, and then you have Flair. But uh, knowing what Scott's strengths are, I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, because cause Flair's a good bumper, but I don't know if Flair that type of really you know athletic bumping basing that fits the Steiner style. I don't think that's Flair's strong suit as a bumper either. Mm. So yeah. Um. Okay. Well, and I do agree that this is probably a little bit too early in Scott's career to have this match as well. Um, yeah, it, it it just it felt like it was uh, a little a little bit of a rush job, and uh, it it seemed like WCW kind of agreed because he does get injured, but even before that, he's pretty quickly put back into a tag team, you know, like uh, from here on out. Yeah, no, um, Meltzer does note that this is the lowest rated main event in Clash history. Um, tough too, because it gave it had what, a four point eight. Which is the lowest uh, rating they've done, um, and the Missy poorly arm wrestling sequence had a 4.0. <laughs> so there we go. Um, that said, this was a sellout, 
sellout crowd of 2,200. Did you uh, see the spot where they're both supposed to tumble out to the floor and uh, Flair is over, but but Scott can't get over? And so then, I guess, to prevent them having to call a DQ or whatever, he just he essentially just jumps over the top rope. Yeah, pretty pretty. So it's a pretty. He had a couple of kind of shaky spots, so pretty awkward. I I, I do think Scott Siner visibly struggled in this spot. Um, I don't know if it's his fault, though. I don't know. I mean, just not ready. Right, um, yeah, I agree with that. Um, and I, I reckon that they could have put Pillman in this spot. or mm-hmm. Sure, that's maybe, who I would have done. Um, yeah, but probably I wouldn't put Lex. Yeah, like, I wouldn't burn that yet. You Because you can do Flair, Lex again down the line. Right, yeah. Um, and, and we've just had them, right, in... Like we had yeah, I, I, I think that's done been expired to where they were handing at that at Great American Bash when we get there. I would say that had been the absolute earliest. I'd want to see that match again. Yeah, I, in fact, I tell you what I would have done. I would have probably um, given just like Flair's just become champ, right? So feed him someone. Right. Um, don't don't burn Scott Steiner on this. Instead, feed him. I would say, I don't know. Um, Tommy Rich. Oh, well, I was thinking Tommy Rich, but then I wondered, does it devalue the title? Right, that's that's where I was at. Um, I, I, but I, I do think if they could have reversed it and had the Doom Sting match as the uh, main event, and would have done, uh, you know, maybe a more creative finish to not make it feel like such. I mean, this match ended with a time limit draw, so it's not like this finish was great either. But, but I think you could have put like the Rich Flair title defense second from the top, and it would have been fine. Um, I'd probably put him in there with, um, uh, what's his name, Ricky Morton. Yep, that would have been good too. Uh, because Morton, like. They've they've had previous. They you know they're going to give you a good match, and um, it's not going to hurt anyone to see. It's not going to hurt Morton to lose to Flair at this right. point, you know. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I would have done. Um, okay, so uh, we're at the end of the show, so yeah. it's time for the awards. So uh, Billy Graham Award? No, no. Let's do match of the night. Match of the night. That's that's okay. more interesting. So, so my match of the night, kind of probably in a little bit of an upset for me, was uh, Terry Taylor and Ricky Morton. I'll, I'll say for this show overall, like I, I mean, it's 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 a clash. It's it's a quick watch again. It's like an hour and fifty minutes. Uh, I thought there was a good bit of bad on this show, but I thought there was uh, you know three or four matches that at least were decent to good. And even the main event, I think, is an interesting watch if you don't necessarily think it's good, which most people seem to think it's a good match. I know I'm lower than a lot. Uh, so so it, it's uh, I, I think this show's not bad, not a bad watch. It doesn't get a strong recommendation or anything, but it's it's miles better than Clash 13 for sure. And I also think that after the total shite we've been sitting through recently uh, on these shows, that it feels like the company is going somewhere better than Black Scorpion and all that nonsense. Yeah, it does feel uh, more well-booked than the fall of 90. So I think Dusty is already making his 
presence as a booker felt in a positive way. Although, I mean, considering what happened in '91, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to hype that too much. No. Right. Um, yeah, my match of the night is probably. Hmm. I'd probably give it to Eaton Zenk. Mm. I gave that three stars that match. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the highest. So based on that, <laughs> um, I give it to Eaton Zenk. Um, pretty weak match of the night pick for me, though. To be fair. Um, right. And so uh, MVP. So my MVP kind of going off the other is I'm actually giving it to Terry Taylor. Uh, I, I think I spoke mostly on that during um, kind of talking about his turn during the match, but but I really enjoyed it. I thought uh, Taylor, after kind of a uninspiring return to WCW, where he he, he you know he looked a little more motivated than. He, of course, did as the Red Rooster, but still didn't have a lot going for him. So now, hoping him turning heel and becoming Terrence Taylor, uh, I'm interested to see how he works with the uh, York Foundation and think it is a pretty good fit for him and something that he needed. Yeah. Um, my MVP is, I'd probably go along with, uh, probably go along with Meltzer and say that it, it was on. During, mm-hmm. the, during that tag match, I think, like a very considering they were just up against the Renegade Warriors, that, right. was, that was a stand-up performance, I think, in a, in a tag match, in a tag squash match, basically. Um, and uh, yeah, Arn's really good around this time, in general, I think. After I would say a pretty disappointing few months for him as TV champ. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. He seems like he's getting back into the thick of things now. Um, and uh yeah billy graham award winner so uh i've I've been selective and not trying to select this guy but but i gotta go with jimmy garvin i thought he was (laughs) really bad uh in that match just uh a a dreadful performance from him (laughs) very good pick uh i'll never complain if somebody picks jimmy jam but for me i think Alan Iron Eagle. Yeah, he was bad too. I mean, what's he doing? <laughs> what's he doing in the company even? Um, so yeah, that's my... Um, I picked for Iron uh, Eagle there as my Billy Graham Award winner. So n- next time out, Chad, it's uh, Wrestle War? Yeah, we have Wrestle War 1991. Uh, really interesting card overall. You have uh, War Games that gets a lot of hype. Uh have kind of uh, some interesting developments with Doom, Lex Luger with a, a kind of a underneath opponent, Dan Spivey for the U.S. title, Hanson Invader, uh, Terrence Taylor's York Foundation member, Dustin Rhodes debuts, All Japan Women. So, so there's a lot going on in this in this uh, show. So it'll be fun to talk about. Yeah, and no, we we got anyone on with us. Um, we don't have anybody lined up now. I'm not sure just with our, uh, you know, me and Parv's schedules seem to be pretty limited as is and uh, seem to be getting more limited by the day. So I'm not positive if we'll uh, add somebody on to that one, but uh, we, we will see. Just tune in to find out. I'll leave a tease for the audience that way. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, Chad. See you, Parv. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts, 
and the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.